0: 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Every once in a while, I meet a fellow Lebanese. And you probably heard that Lebanon went through a civil war, 15 years of civil war. And I was a youngster when I witnessed three years of the civil war because we were living right at the forefront of where the civil war took place in Beirut. From the age of 12 to the age of 15, I was... I had to carry guns because we were crazy enough to let us crazy guns and fight on the front line. And I saw a lot. So once in a while, I meet a fellow Lebanese. And especially if he's my age, we exchange stories. Just like any uh, veteran who meets another veteran, and they exchange, so where were you from? What army? What front were you from? So I happened to be talking to someone. and. I told him my story of facing death and how I came to be killed in one of the battles I saw, and he proceeded to tell me a story that it stuck uh, to me all these years. It's been probably 20 years that he told me or more. He said, "And you know, he was he was stationed way in the mountains of Lebanon. Lebanon has a very mountainous way in the mountains of Lebanon, uh, Zahli. Brother Hassan knows where that is." And the Syrian army, which was fighting the Christians at that time, this is back in 82, they brought helicopters to drop soldiers in the, in the hills surrounding the city so they can have an upper hand against the Christians who were defending the city. And he said they send a bunch of teenagers, again they were, because they're crazy and dumb, they send them up the hills to dig these foxholes, to kind of guard from the soldiers come come down into the city, and he mentioned to me that he spent the whole evening by himself digging this foxhole in the ground, and he went on digging it, and he said, all of a sudden, I got out, and then he faced something he did not expect. He was terrified, it was too dark, he didn't know, and he simply lost his orientation. he knew if he if he walk away he may end up stepping into where the enemies were probably 10 or 20 feet from where he was that's how close they were he lost his bearing the church of Corinth which we're going to look uh, at this morning is a church that had many issues had many problems it's a church that lost its bearing and Paul writes this, this letter to kind of uh, uh, diagnose all the problems and issues that they had and prescribe, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, solutions to them. And I know Grace Bible Church is a perfect church. Until at 9 o'clock when my wife walked in the church, it became imperfect. I'm still the perfect one. What I'm saying is, the saying is, if you find a perfect church... And you walk into that church, it becomes imperfect. As long as we as believers, we are in this flesh, we are in this carnal state that we are in, we will have problems. We will have issues working together, worshiping together, surfing together. And so this church in, in, in Corinth is a church where its culture was so evil it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, they were practicing lewdness and fornication and uncleanness. This is the culture that they were living in. And this is some of the baggage they brought into the church. And they were having problems. There were divisions and, and conflicts. And, and they had uh, bickering among, among themselves. They were acting like children, competing. I am for Paul. I am for Apollos. I have the gift of speaking in tongues. I can speak prophecy better than you do. It's like children. They were abusing the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. And misusing the spiritual uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote specifically, specifically to address all these problems. They had problems with holy living. Problems with marriage. The sanctity of of marriage was, was thrown out of the window. And this is the blueprint of God, that God planned for one man to marry one woman. And Paul had to address the church because there was a sinful uh, uh, lifestyle in the church, and they were okay with it. And he said, for this man who was living with his stepmother, his, the wife of his father, as a husband and wife, You should separate that brother. Separate sin from amongst you. But to them it was probably so normal. It was okay. These are the kind of issues that the church of Corinth was going through. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was addressing these problems. And as he was addressing them, he writes to us some of the most marvelous doctrine that we see in the scriptures. He said, while you're competing for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, let me show you something much better than what you're competing for. And he goes on to write chapter 13, all about love. Yes, you can move mountains. Yes, you can prophesy. But if you don't love your brother, you're like that ringing bell. And then he proceeded to write on on resurrection, the cornerstone of the gospel. The foundation of of our faith. It's our holy ground. And I'm very thankful this morning, Brother Tyler really uh, zoomed in into the fact that this is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ came. He died. He was buried. And he arose on the third day. And so he went explaining why resurrection is so important. Because this is something we face in the Arab world. We face Muslims, Islam, Islam recognizes Jesus Christ as a prophet. He's a good man. They recognize that he, arose, he got t- took him to heaven, He's in heaven. but guess what? He was never he didn't die. And he, there was no resurrection. The core of the gospel, they short-circuit that. It says, God took him alive. He's alive with, he's a good prophet. He's alive with him. Why? Because, who's the author of Islam? Let's just, let's just put it this way. We have Satan who is denying the truth of the, the gospel, the resurrection of our Lord. The resurrection was proof that Christ, in his flesh, in his body, broke the power of Satan, broke the power of sin, and he arose as a proof that he is god and so we have all these uh doctrines that the lord brings through or the holy spirit brings through first Corinthians, and and then he comes at at the end of his letter chapter 16. and now he's putting his final thoughts he starts in chapter 16 thanking them for the collection to the saints they send their sacrificial gifts to the brethren in jerusalem We actually saw some of that as a ministry when churches and believers, and I know some of you rallied behind the believers in Lebanon after the explosion that took place two years ago. Major explosion that devastated Beirut, Lebanon, and also caused the meltdown, economical meltdown that Lebanon is experiencing. And so brethren there who used to make money living, now they lost everything, even their bank accounts. And so we're very thankful how churches rallied to help the believers in Lebanon. Paul goes on outlining his personal plans. This is a missionary. He's always, he's always in action. He's always forward thinking, planning, begging God for open doors so he can bring the gospel, so he can spread the gospel. And then he comes... And he writes these final exhortations. And as if the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's like a commander telling you know, his army, if you can imagine with me, this like a king or his, a commander who his army is behind him and they're facing the enemy in front of him. And the king takes some time to encourage his soldiers and he goes on exhorting them and encouraging them. And his encouragement and his exhortation have to do with what they are going to face. The battle before them. And Paul writes these five exhortations in verse 13. He said, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And then verse 14. He said, let, that, that, let all that you do be done with love. Five exhortations. All five of them. Have to do with military terminologies, including let all that you do be done with love. That's because you and I, and everyone who's a believer, everyone who accepted Jesus Christ, the minute you accepted Jesus Christ, you became a soldier in the army of God. Read Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul described to us the armor of God. We, as believers, we've entered a battle that the world does not understand, and the world cannot see. And this war has been taking place since the dawn of the fall of Adam. And Paul, again through what I believe, uh, of course, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is kind of summarizing all the solutions, kind of squeezing all the solutions into these five exhortations. And we'll be looking at each one of them. Watch, stand fast, be brave, be strong. And let, that, let all that you do be done with love. Be watchful. As I mentioned, these are military terminologies. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You therefore must endure hardship like a good soldier. As I mentioned, we have a war taking place before us as believers. You like it or not. And this war is taking place in three fronts. And the scriptures outline these fronts for us. The first front has to do with our flesh, this carnal nature that we still have. As long as we live in this flesh, we have this battle with the old nature. And the Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 26 verse 41, he says, "Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation." The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh, this old nature, is waging war against us. This is well outlined in Galatians chapter 5. It says, Walk in the spirit so you would not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh opposes, wages war against the spirit. And so... In order to be watchful, the scriptures encourage us to pray, be in prayer, lest you fall into temptation. And I like what someone, how someone, uh, came up with an acronym. Where most of us are susceptible to fall into temptation. The acronym stands for hat, HAT The acronym is HAT, which stands for H, hungry. A Angry, tea, tired, hungry. Ask the hajjis. Try to stand between them and their food. Seriously though, if you are hungry and you're driving, you become, you know, you lose your temper, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're driving like a madman, oh, madwoman for that matter. Try to go to store when you're hungry. You buy half the store. (laughs) You know, in Lebanon, we love our food so much that we call the sandwich, we call it bride. That's how much we love our sandwich. We look at it as a bride. You think, we're funny, huh? But you call it submarine. I don't know why you call it Submarine. (laughs) But it is, though, it is a state where we feel weak and we fall into temptation. The other one is angry. This is when you lose your guard and that old nature bursts out. And you say things that's not only harmful to the people you're talking to, but to yourself. This is why the scripture says, do not go to sleep. Do not let the sun, the sunset, if you're angry. Go in and reconcile with the people that you have Let go, you have kind of damaged them with your anger. And the one that's tired, this is where I struggle the most. You come home, you're physically tired, you're mentally drained. And I don't know where these thoughts come to my mind, how they invade my mind and my heart. We are susceptible to falling into temptation when you're exhausted and tired. And the scripture says, Be watchful lest you enter into temptation the second one is we have a battle with the world you know the world system is not here encouraging us to live a holy life and to live for the lord they're not applauding us to say yeah go for it we'll give you a month call it jesus christ month or call it the gospel month The world is opposing everything has to do with God. Because everything has to do with God is holy. That's why we call the Bible the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit. God, the, the world is opposing the work of God. The work of the church. The mission work. Everything. Because the world is under the domain. And we we'll look at that domain. The, the domain of our archenemy Satan. And in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so, one way to persevere, one way to protect our family, one way to pray for our, each other as a church, to protect ourselves from the filth of the world, to be in prayer as a church, as a family. Pray for one another. This is our weapon. This is our, uh, our, the power to sta- stand against what the world is dumping upon us. Watch in prayer for your family and for your brethren. And lastly, we have the our arch enemy, Satan. This is the third for- forefront. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5, a verse that's well familiar with most of you verse 8 it says be sober be vigilant and hear the scriptures define who satan is he's an adversary he's an enemy your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour that's his job he hovers around he probes around to see where is our weakness as a church, as a believer, as, as 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 you, as a believer, as a ministry, to attack. And yes, he can raise evil men to attack the work of God, to attack the man of God. But you know the scriptures outline for us strategy for this war. The Christian war. This is the strategy. Believe it or not, to flee. When it comes to love of money, the scripture says flee from what? The love of money, 1 Timothy. When it comes to youthful lust, it says flee from youthful lust. When it comes to habitual habits and idols in our lives, it says flee from idol worship. But when it comes to Satan, what does it say? Resist Satan and he will free from you. So the strategy in our war Spiritual war is to be watchful and to do like what what Joseph did, to flee from any temptation that will bring us down and yet for Satan to resist him. Three war fronts. The believer's sinful nature, the evil world system that we live in, and Satan. Be watchful is our first exhortation. Secondly, says stand fast in the faith and here is the faith we read that in June Jude 20 it says but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith this is the faith that covers all the fundamental doctrines of our, our precious faith this morning we heard really great doctrine about the deity. You've been studying the deity of Christ and the humanity of Jesus Christ. These are foundational for our faith. And the scripture commands us to stand fast in the faith. I want to take two approaches to that. The first one is to stand fast in the gospel. As I mentioned to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 has to do with the resurrection. Turn, well, the verse is in front of you, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. These days, brethren, we find ourselves ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because It's too naive. We say, well, believe in Jesus. He died for you and you'll be saved. Well, you know, let me have some news for you. Yes, it is a simple message. It sounds naive. It sounds foolishness to the world. But it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the wisdom of God for what God has planned. That Jesus Christ comes down in the flesh, dies in the flesh, and arose in the flesh. That's the gospel unfortunately brethren i find in the mission field how missionaries and how ministries trying to thin down the message of the gospel it's like we are ashamed of who christ is calling him the son of god oh don't say the son of god to muslims you'll offend them and now they changing the scriptures taking off son of god taking off father and they putting different terminology so we want fu- offend Muslims now we call God King and the Son of God Prince heresy and we are losing the battle of winning the world to Christ because we are throwing the gospel and we ought to live it we ought to preach it we ought to proclaim it stand firm in the gospel it's not you or I I say to people that we save people it's the message it's the power of God it's the Word of God you just proclaim it God is the one who's saving people it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that saves people you and I cannot save people only be faithful in telling them in proclaiming the gospel stand firm in the gospel second one stand firm in the doctrine Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 15, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. And it's on this it's on the screen as well. It says therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. You know, the reason why we come to the church, yes, we are worshiping our God, but also we need to be instructed, we need to be taught, we need to be exposed to the teaching of God's Word. Why? Because the church is the pillar of the truth. And this is why, from this pulpit, we share from God's Word. We're not here to share opinions. You don't need... To hear my opinion. What we need is to hear God's opinion. And this is not God's word. I love it. This morning I really appreciated how Brother Tyler brought verse after verse. Comparing spirituals with spirituals. Unfolding the oracles of God. Understanding the depth of the word of God. This is what we need to see in our churches. Stand firm in the doctrine. Stand firm in what? It was handed to us. In First Timothy chapter one verse thirteen, it says, "Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus." Second John chapter nine, uh, excuse me, verse nine to verse ten, it says, "Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ." has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Again, stand in the faith, Jude 20. And in the faith, it says, um, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The whole doctrine, the whole foundations of our precious faith next it says be brave or be courageous in other translations in the Arabic Bible it says be men that's the most accurate translation act like men act like adult that's what it means don't act like children don't act like babes and that's what the church of Corinth was doing they were bickering and, and, and comparing themselves, as I mentioned. In First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Paul tells them, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. In malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And we as believers, we ought to have a good grasp of the whole body of faith that we have. Be mature and be be mature in understanding of what the the whole what, what we are here for. Be mature in understanding what our Bible is saying. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter three, please. This is where we see a glimpse of what's going on in the church of Corinth. And you think, oh boy, they were really bad. You don't think it happens today. Well, if I tell you stories of churches I've visited, and some of the stories I've heard, how churches were split because of the color of the stove they brought in. And they start fighting among themselves, why the st- or color or the kind of stove, electric versus gas. That happens, you know, in churches. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse. I want to read from verse 1 to 4. It says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for I still, you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not, aren't, aren't you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You know what a counter believer is like. He behaves just like the world. I remember years ago, I, I was I still work at Raytheon. Uh, a colleague of mine, he was an engineer. We worked together. You know, he found out that I'm a believer, and he goes, "Oh, I'm a born again Christian." And you know, I was I was shocked. I was wondering. I, you know, I didn't want to say that to him, but I didn't see it. He was swearing left and right. He may be a believer, but he is a carnal believer. He is a child, a babe in Christ. He is someone who didn't grasp the beauty of the word of God, who is not spending time before the throne of God, who is not active in a local church. He is a babe who is acting like like children. Be mature in your spiritual walk. Third, be mature in the word. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Although it is on the screen, but let's read it from verse, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to verse 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of, Someone who is mature in the Lord. I'm not saying he may be a year old in the Lord, but he's mature in the Lord. He's someone who is, uh, uh, he, who is using, who is putting the word of God in action in his life. He is someone who is able to discern good and evil. I've known believers who are like one year old, and boy, the maturity they have. I've known believers who were very young in age, but yet they speak as they were, whoa, way, way ahead of their age because they are people who fell, fell in love with the word of God and study it and mature in it. Be mature in the word of God. Maturity in the Lord is proportional to your knowledge of the word. Stand, be brave, be adult. Act like men. Next, be strong. Paul tells Timothy, he said to Timothy, be strong, uh, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul is the one who experienced what it means to be strong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you remember, he prayed three times Three times that the Lord will take away the thorn in his flesh. Finally the Lord answered him on the third time. And he said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is the strength of our Lord. This is the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. Comes manifest when we are weak. So God's strength comes to you and the weakest of your weakness and Paul went on to say therefore most gladly I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me then at the end he says for one I am weak then I am strong God does not need people who think they can do it all God does not need people who think they have muscles and they can do the word of God. And their work is better than everyone. God needs people who are humble. Who realize they are weak before him. And watch how God can use them. And how he strengthened them. For the work set before them. Be strong. We have many challenges in our lives. In our Christian walk. Challenges for our families. Challenges for our ministries. Challenges in our church. Challenges for, you know, at work. And the scriptures is encouraging us to be strong in the Lord. Our strength should always be drawn for, from our intimate fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, brethren, he comes to the final one where he says, be loving. Be loving. As I mentioned, we as human beings, we all have you know we all have our opinions and sometimes in our church gathering or meetings we voice our opinions and we disagree with our opinions and a lot of problems happen because of that I tell people that my opinion then is better than all your opinions I'm so proud of my opinion but God cares less about my opinion God cares about the unity of the body of Christ This is why we ought to love one another, bear one another. Even though I disagree with you, it doesn't mean I have to fight you. We're good in picking fights. Do you know that the army of God has the most friendlier, the most friendly fire among its army? We just fight one another. Well, we have to fight about mask or no mask. We have to fight about, you know. The pandemic or no pandemic. We have to fight about, oh, are you, uh, you know, when it comes to translations. Or when we sing, should I hold the mic or not? We got to pick up a fight. And you're entitled for all your opinion. But don't fight one another. And that's what love comes through. A verse that re- always, always scares me, yet it teaches me so much. Turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9 It says but concerning brotherly love you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another Every time I read this verse it just I'm I am I'm astounded to read it how can they were taught by God to love one another. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9. It's on your screen as well. And he says, but concerning brother love, you have no need that I should write to you. These brethren, that love one another. You know why? Because they love God. That is a secret. It's very hard, perhaps, for me to love some of you. I mean, that's a trial. But it's more trial to love me. <laughs> right? But you know how we can love one another? It is by loving God. When you fall in love with God, it becomes natural to love the brethren around you. It becomes natural that we cover for one another. Let me, let me uh, also jump to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, let your love be fervent. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, it says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. I can easily say, oh, I love you, brother. or oh, I love you, sister. Talk is cheap. Action is hard. It says, all, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. We here to love one another and to cover for one another. Not to gossip. Not to highlight your weakness. Not to highlight the dirty laundry we all have. We're here to love one another. How we can love one another? By loving our God. And if I am judging my brother, it's, it's something tells me that my relationship with God is something is not right. It's not healthy. I'm not spending the time I need with my father in order to learn from him how he loves me so I can love the brethren. Your love to your brethren reflect your love to your father five exhortations five commands five checkpoints that Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit left the church of Corinth and he left us for each one of us these checkpoints watch stand fast in the faith be brave be strong let all you do be done with love you may ask me what happened to the story of, of this fellow I told you about, that he was freaking out. It was so dark, he couldn't see even his hand in front of him. As I mentioned, he lost his bearings. An example of perhaps the church of Corinth, it lost its bearings. He went on to tell me the well, what I was expecting. So said, what did you do? He said, well, you know, I looked around, I kept looking around, and finally, way in the far... Away from the in the mountains way Lebanon has I said many uh, mountains he saw a small cross lit and you know some houses had it and he knew if he followed that cross he will pull away from the danger he was and that's how we ought to come back and really straighten our bearings By connecting to the old, old regular cross. To come back before the throne of God. And to be watchful. To be strong in him. To stand fast in the faith. And to be in love for one another. Amen. I want to pass it on to Pastor Fry. Again, once again, we appreciate all your love and your support.
1: Let's pray for um, application of this message to our hearts. We'll also thank the Lord for lunch. Then we'll close in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the exhortation that Paul gives to the Corinthians that we can learn so much about. We see it throughout the New Testament that these commands are not just for the Corinthians, they're for us too. And I pray that in our battle against our flesh and the world and Satan, that you would help us to be reminded that we need you more than uh, ourselves. We need each other as a church uh, to help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we thank uh, you for providing Christ and help us uh, to have the grace we need to exalt him and not ourselves. Help us to have the humility to uh, listen to wise counsel around us and accountability that we need uh, to tell people when we're struggling with sin and uh, when we're not um, obeying your word. And I pray that you would show us uh, through your word, through your son, through your spirit, and through our fellow believers here at church, uh, how to continue to walk with you and be faithful to you until you come for us. Thank you for providing this food for us. Thank you for all those who made it. And uh, I pray you would bless our fellowship. And may that be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.